Well, good morning, Door Creek. It is good to be with you. I'm hearing in that response just a little Christmas hangover. Let's try that again. Good morning, Door Creek. Uh, That's more like it. You did get your coffee this morning. Okay, I was just checking. So um, we're uh, finishing up 1 Corinthians today and actually next week as well. So we'll finish it next week. We're coming to the end today. And we're coming to the end of this section where Paul's been talking about the church gathering. We talk all about, as, as, a, as a church family, if you want to position yourself to grow, gather on the weekends, what Kara was just talking about, get in a group, grow in a group, whether it's a support group, a life group, one of the Bible studies, get in a group, and then get used to just giving of yourself, because you don't grow if you just kind of keep it in. It's as you give it out. And so... Paul's focusing in chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14 on this whole thing of the church gathering together. And we're going to finish out the section that he started in chapter 12, which is all about gifts and the importance last week of using them in love. So if you're here for Christmas Eve, the word for this Christmas is, does anybody remember? Extra- oh, that's so encouraging. Good. It's, I mean, it's only been three days, but it's so encouraging. All right, that God's love for us is extravagant, and we don't want to underestimate it. And Artie's message from chapter 13 reminded us that our love for each other ought never to be underestimated because it doesn't matter how many gifts we have. It doesn't matter how long we've used those gifts and how powerfully we can use the gifts. His simple formula is this. If we've got a gift minus love, it always equals zippo, zero, nothing. It will not be used to build up the body. And that's what he's focusing in on. And we're going to get to chapter 14. So grab your Bible, chapter 14, and we're going to complete the teaching. In chapter 14, verse 1, he's going to connect us back to where he's been, this more excellent way, the way of love, chapter 13. And he's going to move us forward to pursuing eagerly the greater gifts, which he's going to say is represented in this gift called the gift of prophecy. So before we move to chapter 14, let me just say this again. I already mentioned it, but it's, it's worth repeating. When the congregation at Corinth was hearing Paul's letter read. So, I mean, that's that's how it worked out. It was a letter to the church. They came together like now, and somebody began to read it. And when it got to chapter 13, it was not what we think of when we think of a wedding. When I think of a wedding, and I'm doing a wedding up front, yep, there's the bride and the groom. But I look out to the audience, you guys, and here's what I see. Heads up, a lot of smiles. When they heard chapter 13, it wasn't the warm fuzzies of a wedding homily. It was the stinging rebuke to a congregation who'd lost their way. They actually were doing life together without love. The eyes were down, and it was like, "Uh uh-oh, we've really messed up here, and Paul wants to talk about it. So chapter 14, are you there? Look at verse 1. It's going to do that, connecting it to the past and setting up this passage here in chapter 14. Follow the way of love, all right? That's chapter 13. And eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So again, go back to 1231. He says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. That's what he's gonna unpack in chapter 14. 
And then he says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way, which is this way of love, chapter 13. So in a sense, 13 is like this big parenthesis, and he goes from 1231 right in terms of the thought, right here to chapter 14, verse 1, where he says, follow the way of love, which I've just told you about in 13, and now eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. So let's just keep reading. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries. He's talking about the person with this gift of tongues. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues but I'd rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. All right, so he's gonna focus in now on this whole thing of building up the body. And in verses one through 25, he's gonna make a simple case. The way we build up the body best is by using the tools, the gifts that do the job. The gifts that do the job are like the gift of prophecy. They're the greater gifts. You guys are all focused on this one gift, the gift of tongues. We're going to see him make that case in, in chapter 14, verse 12. That's why he uses it as a first example of a gift without love in chapter 13. They're focused on it. He's going to say that gift, unless it's interpreted, cannot do what all the other gifts can do. So he's going to say, our goal is to serve each other in love and to build up the church. And so as you're serving with your gifts in love, make sure that you're grabbing those gifts, those parts of the body, those tools that God has distributed through the Spirit that best do the job of helping the body grow, listen to me, to be more like Christ individually. That if we are in Christ, he's the head of this thing called the church, which he references in, metaphorically as a body, then each of us need each other and each of us help each other to become more like Christ so that together we're a strong body that continues his work in this world. So 1 through 25 is all about use the greater gifts to build up the body. And then he's gonna say in 26 through 40, use those greater gifts in their proper way, in fitting way, in orderly way that rep represents and resembles the peace and order of God to build up the body. So we're in chapter 14, verses one through five. He gets into the greater gifts. He's, he's comparing the gift of tongues, which they're focused on, preoccupied with. It's a pretty spectacular gift. You could understand it in this way. Tongues is a spirit-given ability whereby the person speaking in tongues is worshiping and praying to God in a language unknown to them and actually to the church. So it's not like they, they supernaturally learned Russian and they're talking Russian. No, it's actually a different kind of language. This isn't the languages that was going on in Acts chapter two at Pentecost where in fulfillment to the prophet Joel's prophecy, the people are praising God in all these different languages known by the visitors to Jerusalem as they heard them speaking in their language. No, this is different. 
This is different. A spirit-given ability where you speak in another language that you don't know, that the people don't know, worshiping and praying to God. He says, I I want you to know that is so different than prophecy that is a representative gift, I believe, in chapter 14 of the greater gifts that can build up everybody. So notice what he's saying here. He's saying, number one, in verse two, tongues is speaking to God. You see that? In verse three, prophecy, though, is speaking to the church. So it's a worship language. You're worshiping and praising and praying to God. That's tongues. Prophecy is, it's actually that which is going out to the church. Tongues isn't understood, verse two. Prophecy, on the other hand, verse three, is understood. Tongues is uttering mysteries with our spirit, verse two. Prophecy is speaking words that strengthen, encourage, and bring comfort, verse three. Tongues They do build up, but only one person, the tongue speaker. So even if you don't understand it, you're caught up in this experience of worship with God through this spirit-given ability to communicate in this language that you don't even know. And it's powerful for you in your experience with God and worship of God. But prophecy builds up the church. Verse five, tongues is good. Verse five, prophecy is preferred. It's even better. So the question then is, why is prophecy and the gifts that edify better than tongues? He's going to go make his case. Look at verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sound, such as the pipe, the flute, or harp, How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to that speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you in the church with these different gifts. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, i.e. speaking in tongues, try to excel in those that build up the church. So why is prophecy better? Why are the gifts that edify better than tongues when they're uninterpreted? Because tongues can't be understood. It's like we're in a foreign country and we can't communicate to them and we have no idea what they're saying to us. And if you've traveled to a country where they speak a language you don't, you get what he's saying here. Before he talks about being a foreigner in its foreign language, he talks about musical instruments, right? He's talking about a flute, he's talking about a harp, and he's talking about the bugler in the army. And he says, if they're playing notes that aren't distinguished from each other, there's no way to know what they're playing. So, you ready? I'm going to play a few notes on, on I'm going to just sing them out here, Okay. So I don't have my trumpet. I don't have that anymore, and that's a good thing. 
because uh, I will be, would be making a joyful noise. All right. So you tell me what the song is, all right, and see how long it takes you to recognize this tune. Bum, 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 bum. All right. Star Thangle Banner, and we stand up, right? All right. Here's one. Bum, 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 bum. The wedding. Wedding march. Here comes the bride. All right, let's go to uh, let's go to the uh, bugler. That's right. It's time to what? Get up. It's a good thing, because there's another one called taps. It goes like, pom pom pom. Right. So what what if the bugler just started going, pom, ba ba pom, ba ba pom 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 pom. Bum, bum. What are we supposed to do? What was that tune? I don't have a clue what that tune was. Because he was playing what? The same note over. It didn't matter that it was syncopated. Didn't matter that they were different notes, whole notes or half notes or 16th. It didn't matter. There was no distinguishing between notes because there weren't notes. He's saying it's greater because it's intelligible. And if you're speaking in tongues, you're speaking with your spirit. It is great in your worship with God, but the people around you, they can't understand it. And so excel, verse 12, in the gifts that build up the church. And as I look over the list of gifts, and there's four lists, 1 Corinthians 12, and uh, in 13 and 14, there's reference to gifts. And then in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, th there isn't any other gift that I can think of, and I know it's not an exhaustive list, where we would say it's just like tongues, where unless it's this, interpreted, whatever it is, it won't have a benefit for the great, greater body. So I really think they're focused on the very one gift. It's like the only gift that if it's not interpreted, it only benefits you. It doesn't build up the church. So this church is focused on it back in Corinth, and he's speaking to that. And so he applies, in light of that truth, verse 13 through 19, he says, if that's the case, and you've got the gift of tongues, then verse 13, here's what you ought to pray. You ought to pray that you also get the gift of interpretation, so that you not only can speak that gift of tongues and share it. But then you can follow it up by saying, and here is this word of praise, this prayer that I just prayed in my spirit. I'm gonna now share it intelligibly with my mind so that you can understand it. And that's what he says in verse 14 and 15. Pray and sing with your mind in the medium which promotes understanding. In 16 and 17, he says, if you don't, there is no way anybody's gonna be able to say the amen. What does amen mean at the end of the prayer? It is so. Let it be. Not, who that was long, the end. No, it's, it's, our, it's our response. When we say amen, when, when Randy prayed this morning and, and said, in the name of Christ, we pray amen, and we say, yes, may it be so. We're agreeing with it. He says, how can they agree with the prayer if they don't understand what you prayed? So he says, I'd rather speak, look at verse 18, 19, this is pretty wild. He says this, 18, 19, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So he's not against tongue speaking. He says, I do more so than any of you. But in the church, 
When we gather, I would rather speak five, notice, intelligible words to instruct others than how many? Whoa, 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul's thinking here reflects how many churches, not all churches, deal with this whole matter. Now, we didn't get into it last week, but last week, there are some in chapter 13 who says when the perfect come, these gifts will be done away with. And they go, well, he's referring to the word of God being perfection, and when it comes, we no longer will need the miracles, we'll need, no longer need the gifts of healing, we'll no longer need these supernatural sign gifts that authenticate the message in the people who are sharing these things. These things will be done away with. That view is called a cessationist view of the gifts. We don't hold that. We don't think that's what the perfection is referring to, the word of God. Because we know we have the word of God, but we still don't know fully as we ought to know. We're still looking in that glass dimly. So we think perfection coming has to do with Christ's return. And until that time, the gifts are in operation. But there are some that say, nope, no, no longer. Then there are some who say they are in operation today and we're going to try and follow chapter 14 to a T. And then there's a bunch of other churches like ours who I would say follows Paul's advice here. That is, in the church as we're gathered publicly, he would rather have how many? Five than 10,000 in a tongue. He prefers the private use of the gift and when we come together in public, let's use words that do the most good broadly because they're understood by all. So he gets to verse 20 and 25 through 25 and he sums it up by saying, look, you guys, when it comes to these things, have been thinking like children. Verse 20. And he says, stop it. In regard to evil, be children, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. Even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, you imagine that? Church comes together and everyone is speaking in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers, someone seeking God, right? The claims of Christ. They come into the gathering, the service. Will they not say that you are out of your mind? What is going on here? This is craziness. What? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare so they will fall down and worship God exclaiming, God is really among you. And the reason there'll be two totally different reactions has everything to do with what he's just said. Because they can understand the word of the prophet. And those words will prick their hearts and bring them to this place of following, falling humbly before God and worshiping him and following him. The others, they're not gonna know what's going on. They're just hearing it and seeing it go, this is weird. I'm really uncomfortable here. And these people have literally lost their minds. I don't want anything more to do with it. And so he says, the tongue speaking, when it's not interpreted, functions as a sign of judgment 
to those who come in because they remain under God's judgment, no, not in a position to hear his grace. And he's quoting Isaiah 28. So you get to this passage and you're reading it and you're going, what in the world is going on? So when you're reading your Bible and you come to some italicized text, look for a little footnote, usually a letter, that's going to reference the passage in the Old Testament. So then you go back to chapter 28 of Isaiah, and we're trying to figure out first and foremost, not what does it mean here in 1 Corinthians 14, what does it mean in Isaiah 28? When you get to chapter 28, God is warning his people of impending judgment because they're not responding to his intelligible word that's been spoken through the prophets. And he says, look, you're not responding to the word spoken to you. I'm going to bring in these men from Assyria that are going to speak different languages. And that language spoken in your hearing as they drag you off out of the promised land to another place is going to remind you. It's going to speak to you that you are under judgment because you have not loved me with your heart. You've turned away from my word. You don't love each other anymore. You're trashing the vulnerable around you. And so he's saying what ends up happening then, if a person comes in and they hear a speaking in tongues, the tongue becomes a sign of God's judgment because they are people who are unable to respond to God's clear message because they're not hearing it. And the reason they're not hearing it is because we're not following the patterns in God's word. That's what he's talking about. So he says, at the end of it all, use words that can be understood by all so that the church doesn't just go stronger, but the mission of the church stays in play. This is huge. This church doesn't exist for Mark Myfair. This church doesn't exist solely for you and me. It ought to bring great benefit for us. We ought to come expectant to be encouraged, filled with hope, find truth, an opportunity to collectively praise God. But we come to help each other grow to be more like Christ. When we gather on the weekend, when we get together in our teams and serve, when we get together in our groups and do life together, we come expectant to give to each other because love is not a feeling. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is not about, you just need to have more feelings of love. It is a purposeful commitment that is rooted in our will to seek the good of my neighbor, my brother and sister in Christ, before my own. And as we're seeking to serve each other in love, using the gifts that do the job the best, we've got to remember that there's something bigger in play here. And that is God's mission in this world and our part in that mission to actually help people find the God who loves them with that extravagant love, to understand their need for a savior, to actually fall down and worship God as their father, as their Lord. So there's a lot going on here as he talks about using the gifts that edify the best the most. Stop all this preoccupation with tongues. It's way better, way better to use the gifts that are understood by the broader church. All right, so now in 26, he's going to turn and get to this whole thing of order and worship. In fact, in my Bible, the heading is good order and worship. So here it's use your gifts in the proper order so that it reflects the order and the peace of God. 
So not only are we to use them in love, not only are we to use the different gifts he's given us, but we're to use them in the way that is fitting and orderly because that helps God's purposes go forward. So in verse 26, he kind of summarizes what he's been saying throughout. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, when you come together for worship, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. In other words, as they did church back then, they gathered in the house and they came ready to contribute to the worship. You come ready to participate, but we've kind of laid it out for you. But, but, I, but I think of a small gathering in a, in a house church and that's how they came in. They came in with, I hope we can sing this song or having this word of instruction or this gift of prophecy, all right, or tongue or interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, now there's these instructions for those with a gift. If you speak in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. There's no interpreter. The speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. All right, two at the most three. All right, when you speak, you only speak if there's an interpreter. If there's no interpreter, you can't go off and go to some, some tongue-speaking praise. Woo, what was that? And you go, I don't know. It was just like the spirit in me. I, could, I couldn't help it. No, he's saying, actually, you can help it. These gifts are controllable. They're not this like ecstatic utterance that just happened. You go, wow, whoo. No, you actually can control speaking in tongues. And therefore, he says, if there is nobody in, in the service to interpret, well, then you just keep that privately, right? You just worship the Lord. You pray to him. It's all good. Don't share that publicly because there's no way it can benefit the church. Then he goes on to the prophets. Two or three prophets should speak, verse 29, and the others should weigh carefully. It's the idea of, of examine, to judge what is said. If a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. So imagine in your mind, someone stands up and says, I'd like to share a word. He's got the gift of prophecy. She has the gift of prophecy. And they start in sharing these words to instruct us, to exhort us, to encourage us, to comfort us. And all of a sudden, someone else goes, well, I got a word. Now, I'm thinking right now, buddy, you were second. Let them finish. Aren't you thinking that? I mean, that's propriety, that's politeness. But actually, surprisingly, God says, if it comes now, the spirit moving and someone else to share a word, the first one is supposed to stop and sit down and let the, I'm just scratching. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. So they too can control their gift. So he keeps going. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The, spirit, the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So here's what he's saying. Two or three should speak. The others should weigh carefully. That is, the other prophets and maybe others in the church with the gift of wisdom and discernment and knowledge should weigh what is being said against the word of God to make sure that what this person is saying and claiming to be a message from God is truly of God. Because it can't be of God if it doesn't jive with what? God's word. 
So 1 Peter 4.10, if anyone speaks, you have a speaking gift. Let him speak as it were the very words of God. There's a category that goes all the way back through the Old Testament and there are prophets. There are God's prophets and there are false prophets. The greatest danger for the church in the New Testament is a false prophet. And so this is a very protective thing that this person comes sharing this spontaneous message for God's people that God has laid on their heart and they share it, but he's reminding us it is not on the same level. It's not here. It's not here. It is here. The prophet's word is always here. And so the other prophets and those with the gifts of wisdom discernment could come into play here, would carefully weigh what is being said to make sure it lines up with God's word. It reminds us of our first value, the Bible's authority, centering our lives on God's truth. So this is a really protective thing. It's a really important thing because someone could go off and start saying some crazy things and everybody goes, wow, that's what God wants us to do. But actually, it's telling us to do something that's exactly the opposite of what God's word teaches. You get it? So two at the most, three. The others weigh what is, what is um, shared. You prophesy in turn. You, you submit yourself to the authority, to the judgment, to the control of the other prophets. And you use these gifts in order, reflecting the order and peace of God. So notice what he does then as he moves from that clear teaching and instruction about the orderly use of tongues and lastly prophecy to verse 34. And we don't want to miss this connection contextually. Because if we just start in 34, we're going to lose our way in our understanding of what he's saying in 34. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Are you the only people it's reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. So when we read the Bible and we pull a verse out of its context, we're in danger of doing something that God doesn't intend. When we don't read it in its context, it becomes a pretext and it becomes this proof text where we make a point and someone could go to 1434 and say, and on the basis of God's word, women should never speak in church. And I mean, it looks like that's what it's saying. But we gotta read 34 in its context. And then we keep moving out from the immediate context to go, and how does that jive with the rest of Scripture? So the context is not just the gift of prophecy, but where he leaves off is this whole matter of the prophet is subject to the other prophets so that their words are carefully weighed and examined by the others. And this is what he's talking about. When it comes to the oversight of the messages shared by the prophets, women, you're not to participate in that. 
we know from chapter 11, verse 5, that women were given permission. In fact, there were specific instructions given to the women that if you pray or if you prophesy, you've got to have your head covered. So look at 11, verse 5 up on the screen. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It's the same as having her head shaved. You want to get in the coverings. You can go back to the message two weeks ago. But what's clear here is Paul is assuming that women pray and prophesy in the church. And when they do, they should have their heads covered. And so when he says a woman should remain silent, it can't be. It can't be saying two opposite things. Be quiet. Speak prayers and prophecies. So we understand the, the women being and remaining quiet is relative to this whole matter of exercising authority over a man, which is one of the things he's going to say, and this verse will be helpful as well to try and ferret it out. In 1 Timothy 2.12, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. This is what he's getting at. Women, you can and should pray and prophesy in church. When it comes to this matter of exercising a critical judgment over this man's word of prophecy, you don't think it squares with Scripture, that's something you can talk about at home. Don't do that in the church. That would not be a fitting and orderly manner for the church, Christ's body, to conduct themselves. So he concludes in verse 39 and 40 with these words. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. In other words, go after the gifts like prophecy that build up the body and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So that's 12 through 14, a lot on gifts. And it'd be really easy right now to go, and what in the world does that have to do with my life? Yeah, it's just some wild stuff. Well, it actually has everything to do with our lives. And it has everything to do with a proper understanding of the church and who we are as a church. So let's just kind of review some of the principles that we started calling out going back to chapter 12. The first principle, that we're not to be ignorant about spiritual things, including our gifts. So I'm, I'm just really curious, if you're a follower of Christ and you know that you placed your faith in Christ and God's spirit is in you, do you actually, are you aware of what are the unique gifts? What is this unique part that you play in this body called Door Creek Church? Because we're supposed to know that. We teach a class. Bev is going to be teaching this class for every 7th and 14th here at Sprecher at 9. It's called Discovering Your Design to help you do that. We discover our gifts as we do life together in a life group, as we're serving together, and we start listening to people going, man, I love how you can just always grab all the details and the pieces and pull things together. Thanks so much for bringing order out of the chaos. Ah, you just listen for that. They may be acknowledging you have the gift of administration. Man, I love it when you teach. You always get the cookies on the bottom shelf. I can get to it. I understand it. And I know what it means in my life. Ah, you may have the gift of teaching. Man, thanks so much for caring. Your words really are comforting. 
You encourage me. Thanks for being such an encouragement in our group. That could be the gift of mercy. It could be the gift of encouragement. The two together. There's all these signs that come out of just people talking to us as they observe us doing life. And as we're doing life, these are the things that God has placed in us that just come out. Hopefully they're coming out in a loving way to build each other up. And so we want to learn what our gifts are and where to use those gifts to make a difference in people's lives. There's a second principle, that we remember the unity of the church is not reflected that we're all the same, that we think the same and dress the same and talk the same and look the same. It's actually reflected in diversity. The beauty of a human body are the many parts. The beauty of Christ's body is we're different. We have unique contributions. And so we celebrate that. We remember that. We remember that we need each other to help us become more like Christ to further his work in this world. Third, we receive our spiritual gifts from God through the Spirit when we receive the Spirit, Ephesians 1. Fourth, every Christian has at least one spiritual gift given by the Spirit. This is really important. No single gift has been given to everyone and and no one hit the jackpot. No one has all the gifts, all right? Fifth, each gift is to be used in love, right? Chapter 13, to build up the church. Seeing ourselves as God does, sixth, leaves no room for feelings of inferiority or that superiority complex. And last, what we just learned here in chapter 14, do everything in a fitting and orderly way, and in so doing, we reflect the character of God and promote the building up, the edification of the church and its work in the world. So I think one of the things that we need to connect are are several things. So God is at work in this world. Big, big, big picture. He's calling people to himself into a relationship. That's happening through Christ. It's for his honor and glory and it's for our good to restore us in that relationship that we were created to be. That's what God's doing in this world. He created the family, your family and mine, with this goal that a mom and a dad would love each other, they would love their kids, point him to this God, that they would love that God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength as they do marriage together, that that marriage would reflect the greater relationship of Christ in the church. That moves God's mission forward. But those families actually fit within God's family, made up of people all around the world today, made up of people that have known and followed Jesus for 2,000 years, most of them in heaven. And that church's mission is to help people get connected to God through Christ. And we're part of that body And our job is to help each other become more like Christ individually together so that we can be part of this ongoing story that we're a part of because of churches who've been living out the truths that we've been studying here in 1 Corinthians 13. And so I want to connect my gifts to this body, your gifts to me and my growth as a Christ follower. And together, 
our place in this world to see more and more people become devoted followers of Christ. That's why we're investing in kids. That's why we're investing in students. And that's why we're reaching people through things like Alpha and Christianity Explained and Explored and having studies in our homes, inviting people who don't know Christ. Because that's why we exist, to help people find their way back to God. And so we can't miss that what he's talking about here has everything to do with our opportunity to be part of that which lasts forever. Huge. May we do it well. May we commit to loving each other like this. And until he comes or calls us home, may may we be a healthy body who loves well, who builds each other up well to serve the world for Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to always think of this, that every day we have an opportunity to help this church, the people of this church and the people that this church serves, look and behave more and more like Jesus and to function like him. And so Lord, wherever you've gifted us, may we find places and relationships to use those gifts in love. And Lord, may we always remember that our love is to be like yours. And so grow our patience and kindness. Grow our trust. Grow our ability to give hope, Lord, by the way that we love. Help people to stay in the fight by the way that we love and care for them when it's hard. And may we honor you well and bring great good to this world who desperately needs you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.